Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. For this episode, I spend time in discussion with Angel Mortel, lead community organizer with LA Voice, about her journey into organizing, as well as her recent experience organizing within the Pico, California Home is Sacred campaign. With many years of service in the field of faith-inspired justice work, Angel shares how organizing has become her practice of planting seeds for God's new creation and her commitment to being in the long game of making change for her community and for the world. Good afternoon, everyone. Today I am joined with one of my former colleagues in the Pico California network, Angel Mortel, who is with LA Voice. Angel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Cecilia. It's great to be here. It's great. Now, I've had the pleasure and honor of working with you, but, you know, for our listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, um, maybe you could just introduce yourself to everyone. Sure. So I am a lead organizer with LA Voice. LA Voice is um, a network of congregations across LA County who are building power um, and moving congregations uh, towards collective action to create a county where everyone can live with dignity. I am a mother of two adult children, daughters. They're not children anymore. I guess they're not adult (laughs) children. (laughs) Uh, I'm originally from San Francisco, but have lived in LA for the last eight years. Oh, that's great. Now, you and I have talked a little bit of kind of about your pathway and the different settings you found yourself. What inspired you to become a community organizer and specifically within LA Voice in that faith-based context? I answer this question differently every time someone asks me. (laughs) Um, And I think most recently I've been thinking about uh, my experience I lived for 16 years in Brazil as a a marinal lay missioner. And that experience of of working in community, bringing people together around a shared purpose and the power that that uh, generates to make change in the community. For me, that like was, I think, the foundation of my interests in community organizing. I had done, before that, I had done a lot of advocacy work in DC. Um, and I think community organizing is, is diff- a lot different than just plain advocacy work. Yeah, my experience in Brazil, working directly and deeply in communities um, with people really helped me see the power of, of, of you know what a community can do. Yeah. What kind of organizing were you doing down in Brazil while you were there? Because you were there for, did you say 15 years, 16 years? 16 years. And that's yeah. a long time. What what, uh, <laughs> what was like, what was organizing in that setting like? Yeah. So the, the work that I was doing in Brazil was with community health volunteers or community health workers. And we were organizing folks to kind of take their health situation into their own hands, right? To have more agency and control over their health 
outcomes, right? So we would knock, we would, we had little teams that we organized um, and we would go door to door, knock on people's doors and uh, have conversations with them about, you know, what what is your health situation like now? What's the health situation of your children? What would you like to change? And it was, and and then we would bring people together regularly, like monthly to talk about, well, sometimes, oftentimes we would give like a kind of a health, why it's important to get this vaccine, you know, kind of uh, information, informational piece. But then we'd also talk to them about what can we do? What can you do? What can we do together to make a health or build a healthier community? And people often came up with really amazing solutions like that really made sense for them and their community. Like one of the things that people wanted to do was they they felt like they didn't have any representation um, mm-hmm. in the health post. There was like a, a board that made decisions about uh, how many doctors were in the health post, how many, and when I say health post, I mean like the local public health clinic, mm-hmm. um, how many doctors would come, how regularly they came, how often they went out directly into the community. And so the folks that we were organizing with said, well, you know, we don't have any people who live in the community on that board. So mm-hmm. we want to meet, we want to have some representation on that board because the health clinic is really our first connection to the health system. So help us, let's all help us get representation on that board. Um, And so like it was little things like that, that the the people saw would make a huge difference in the the health of their community. Um, And so we supported them and helping to make that happen. That is so cool. And after your experience in Brazil, did you then start with LA Voice doing organizing with them or did you have anything kind of in between? I was, when I was in Brazil, I was with Marinol for 12 years. And then the last four years I left Marinol, but I still worked for the Brazil, the Brazilian Catholic Church, working with the um, prison ministry, the national prison ministry of the Brazilian Catholic Church. So uh, my time shifted or my focus shifted a little to fundraising for that. So that's what I did in between those last four years in Brazil. And then when I, when we came to the U S when we came to LA, um, I worked for a small nonprofit called brave new films. And we produced social justice, short social justice documentaries. Mm. Um, and my job there was as a faith community outreach person. So I would, you know, try and bring these, we offered them for free, uh, bring the, our films into our short films into um, congregations. And through that work, I met Zach Hoover, who is the, um, he is the ED for LA Voice. Um, and at that time, the LA Voice was working with a coalition of other organizations in LA who were trying to prevent the deportation of uh, a pastor, um, who an undocumented pastor who was um, being held 
and uh, in the process of being deported. So they wanted to prevent that deportation. And when I met Zach uh, doing this work, I said, hey, would a film help you out in this campaign? And he said, and actually it wasn't Zach, but Zach was part of this coalition. But I said to the coalition, hey, would a film help you all out in um, helping get the campaign going to stop uh, this pastor's deportation? And they said, yeah, absolutely. So Brave New Films partnered with this coalition and we produced a short film on the story of this pastor um, and prevented, I mean, not just the film, but the campaign helped to prevent his deportation. So he ended up staying in, in the US. But that's how I met LA Voice. That's how I met Zach. And then got interested in LA Voice and saw that a job as an organizer popped up and I decided to apply and got the job. <laughs> That is so cool. And you've been with LA Voice for how long now? I've been with LA Voice for five years. Wow, that is so cool. Now, I remember when I met you for the first time, like pandemic on Zoom, they had said you were um, doing a lot. Well, they had mentioned you organized Dolores Mission Church, which as a Catholic in the social justice world, let me just say, I mean, you must know this. Dolores Mission Church is like when you hear Dolores Mission Church. There, that's like a I don't you know is it a it's it's kind of a big deal in like the Catholic social justice world so when I found out you were like the organizer at you know for LA Voice with Dolores Mission Church I was like this is like this is absolutely epic and um, I remember in grad school I read an article and it was about Dolores Mission Church like I kid you not so <laughs> I was a little like wow this is pretty cool and what, but what is it like for you, you know, having had all those experiences that you've had internationally, but also in the U.S. to now be organizing specifically, um, you know, in L.A., which has a very distinct culture, um, ge geography, demographic makeup and all of the things, but is also kind of in many ways known to be a hub for you know, these, uh, for social justice movements and just, you know, these types of, um, waves of energy, um, in the faith community. Like, I just wonder how, how has that felt for you moving into that space, given all of your history and your experience? So luckily when I came to, when I joined LA Voice, when I started working with LA Voice and was assigned to, to Dolores Mission, I didn't actually know the the extent of, I mean, I didn't know because I'd been out of the country for so long. <laughs> I didn't know the reputation of Dolores Mission or the long, long and beautiful history of organizing at Dolores Mission. So, cause if I had known that I would have been, I think so intimidated to be <laughs> assigned yeah. as a new organizer at LA Voice. Thankfully, I didn't know all that. I mean, you know, I've learned that over over the five years that I've organized at um, Dolores Mission. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went in dumb, you know, and came out <laughs> smarter as an organizing. Pico principle. Pico principle. <laughs> exactly. Um, I probably, I mean, in this case, I was glad that I didn't do my research ahead of time because then I would have been like, no way 
I can't follow in the footsteps <laughs> of those all the amazing organizers that were there before me. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a it's a real gift because to to be you know to organize in with Dolores Mission, the Dolores Mission community, mostly because they they get it the community like i said has had a long history of organizing they know the power of organizing they know the power of people coming together and they've seen the change that mm. that that can yield you know when people uh, are organized right and demanding change um and so it, it on the one hand it's like easy right? Because people are already there. There's no convincing that, oh, we mm -hmm. need to come together and organize. It's hard because you're living in a legacy of like, mm -hmm. you know, we moved mountains in the past, you know? So you're kind of living in the shadow of that uh, legacy. But overall, I'm so grateful. I mean, I, I was assigned to Dolores Mission um, and I fell in love with the community and ended up now I'm a parishioner at Dolores Mission. So I'm an mm. intricate part of that. So I'm not just working at Dolores Mission. I, I claim that as my community, you know, mm. my parish. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, you, you, you kind of pumped it up a lot, made me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is, I mean, Dolores Mission has an incredible legacy. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. I've been thinking, cause um, you know, recently we had the home is sacred campaign. I know that's an ongoing campaign statewide in California. Um, and I think if I don't, if I remember correctly, I think we launched that campaign with a press conference or maybe it was for a specific bill, but out of Dolores mission. Can you tell me a little bit, I know we talk about California and just the rising cost of living and how it's so expensive to live here. I know that's going up in the whole country. It's just an expensive time to be alive, but specifically in California, what is that campaign kind of about in your perspective as one, you know, an organizer, but also, as you mentioned, as a member of a community um, of people who are in LA County, which is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, so that press conference, just to go back to your reference to the press conference, that press conference did happen at Dolores Mission and um, it was for SB 567, mm -hmm. which um, is the Homelessness Prevention Act, uh, which was... Um, expanded and strengthened protections for renters against unjust evictions in California. And the the senator, the California senator that sponsored that was uh, Senator Maria Elena Durazo, who was also a parishioner at Dolores Mission. Mm. Um, so uh, we, yeah, we launched SB 567 at, um, at Dolores Mission. Um, yeah, so the campaign, the Homeless Sacred campaign is exactly, I think, exactly that, like, like you're saying, um, uh, housing in California is affordable housing is basically a pipe dream in California, right? 
especially in LA County. I was just looking at statistics today, um, uh, specifically about renters because um, SB 567 was specifically about rental renter protections, right? So in the city or in the county of LA, um, most of the, uh, the residents are renters. More than half of the renters are rent burdened, which means that they pay more than a third of their income just in housing costs, right? So that means they're trading off, um, you know, paying for healthcare, paying for um, anything else they might need, mm. transportation, et cetera. And 36% of renter households in the city, oh, 36% of renter households in the city pay half of their income. Um, oh, in wow. Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the the statistics are phenomenal, uh, like just shocking, right? We have over 46,000 residents in LA who are um, unhoused. Um, city the in the county of LA in this last homeless count nine percent it went up the unhoused population went up by nine percent in the city city of LA it rose by ten percent so mm -hmm. like the the numbers are just shocking you know um and so the homeless sacred campaign really was centering home as sacred and trying to protect um protect keep people in their homes hmm. um and protect protect people that are in their homes and keep them in their homes but also open up opportunities for to build more affordable housing because another bill so SB 567 was one of the bills that was in the homeless sacred campaign another bill was SB 4 um, which would facilitate production of affordable housing um, on faith lands. Mm -hmm. um, and both of those passed. So super exciting. Um, we're going to start as a network talking about what implementation of, of those things, both SB 567 and SB4 um, entail. And so, yeah, big win with uh, with both of those. With the homeless campaign in general, yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. I remember um, we worked on that campaign in Sacramento um, when I was still with SAC Act. And I, I know we had some challenges. It it's something that like, in theory, it sounds great, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, who wouldn't be behind this? Uh, but as we started to organize and do listening and talk to different congregations, um, there were some challenges that we found as far as people's perception of renters of like how much help renters should be getting um what about landlords all of these different kinds of you know narratives that are out there what were some of the challenges that you saw um in your organizing context maybe as some either challenges or you know big problems uh that people were having a hard time overcoming in to be able to support this campaign you mean people in the communities? Because I mean, obviously, there's yeah. the big, the big challenge of the the housing, the apartments association, yeah, the association, who are throwing a ton of money 
mm-hmm. into, you know, shaping the narrative around this. And that impacts like shaping the narrative around, you know, housing in California also impacts trickle trickles down. I mean, mm-hmm. to the community because they hear those narratives and then they, you know, repeat them, you know, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we did at Dolores Mission, actually, we did two things. One is we we did a housing survey. Um, so it was a very simple housing survey that I think folks across LA, I mean, f- across the PICO network did, but I'll speak specifically about uh, Dolores Mission. Um, we did the housing survey. And um, so people got raw data on uh, the people that were sitting right next to them in the pews, mm. right? So um, they found that, I think it was like something like 80% of the congregation are renters, um, something like 70% were rent burdened, you know? Mm. And so when you're when you're talking, not generally, but you're talking about the people in your community and you're seeing how that's impacting them, I think mm-hmm. that makes a huge difference um, in, um, how people will respond, you know, to, to either to a campaign. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we did that, and then we shared the results of the housing survey, people were like, wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I didn't know that so many people in our community, you know, are, are, um, having to choose between whether to buy groceries or to pay their rent. I didn't yeah. know that or mm-hmm. are at risk of eviction. Right. And so that was like one of the first things we did. And then people were like, let's bring out some of these stories. So the social justice organizing committee at Dolores mission, they um, had this whole campaign. We collected postcards where people could write their stories, but we also did videos. We um, interviewed people who were willing to tell their stories. We haven't taken that body of stories yet to like bring it back to the community, but but I think already through that housing survey, stories have started to come out, mm-hmm. um, but having like at people actually telling their stories really has made the Dolores Mission community really want to jump in on the um, campaign, right, to protect renters. The other thing we did, though, is we did some research meetings. And one of the research meetings we did was we gathered small landlords. And we asked them, you know, this is the campaign we're working on. Like, what are your thoughts? <laughs> you know, mm. And that just that honest uh, conversation uh, with small landlords in our community, in the Dolores Mission community was, was helpful and illuminating in terms of like it being a conversation about how we lift up our whole community. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Cause I think, you know, some people might, um, be very familiar with the narrative of it being, you know, landlords versus tenants, exactly. right? And that that landlords are all just money hungry people, right? That are, you know, hoping to make the most money and it doesn't matter. And 
there are also small landlords, like you're saying, in our in our same communities that are not like that, <laughs> that, exactly. you know, just start, you know, they use it as an income source, but they're not trying to make life extremely difficult or burdened for anyone. And um, including those voices in the research has to be really important as well. Exactly. And, and what we learned from the small landlords is exactly that. We're not here to profit off of this. You know, we're just here to like, you know, I, like one woman had inherited the building that, you know, she was renting apartments in and she was like, yeah, it's this, the rent is like paying off the um, mortgage on this inheritance that I, you know, have. And then, but uh, so she was like, but I have like four units, you know, I'm not making, you know, I'm not, profiting I'm not going you know on luxurious vacations you know because I'm making (laughs) a ton of money off of this you know she's like I'm trying to live too the other thing that they shared which was really interesting is like you know they know their tenants they know the people that are renting their apartments and so when it when they've had to evict people it's like emotionally hard for them to do it because Mm -hmm. it's like they're they're, you know, saying to someone that's lived in their apartment for like 10 years and become a member of their family, you know, this is not sustainable anymore. And we, so it just like humanized the landlords a little, like the small landlords, mm-hmm. you know, that they're, yeah. yeah. And so that was an interesting kind of eye-opening thing for, for the folks. Yeah, that's just so fascinating. I know that the research that was done and the data collected and all of the listening um, and the surveys really just had some really insightful information. You mentioned, um, you know, this idea of building community. And when you revealed kind of the results of the survey, people having this realization, like, it's not an anonymous uh, issue of people they've never met, but it's literally like the person sitting next to them at mass. Um, and the person that's, you know, your, your friends, your kid's best friend at school, right? Like it's, awesome. it's really actually a very uh, close knit community that can have those problems and not be aware. And um, I know we found here in Sacramento that when people started to learn those things, it was kind of a wake up call for them. Cause we talk about housing being an issue in California, but it's also like, there's almost like a taboo. Like you don't, you also don't want people to know you're struggling or you don't want people to know that you couldn't pay your rent or that you are making those decisions between, you know, do I buy groceries or do I pay my rent and how do I make ends meet? I wonder, you know, for you who have been in the community for a while and been in this work, what are some of like the long-term dreams and goals of what you would like to see through organizing. Because I think in organizing, we talk a lot about campaigns and bills, but I think what you're describing is so much more than just getting a bill passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's building uh, the new creation or the kingdom of God on, on earth. Right. It's like, it's a vision that's much bigger than, and it's going to take a much longer. I, you know, I always say <laughs> to people, we're planting seeds for a future that we won't 
probably live to see, right? Because mm. um, people are, they want to see the immediate, you know, I want to see a uh, hundred, you know, at least a hundred more affordable apartments in my community, you know, maybe you could win a hundred, but I want everyone in my community to be housed, right? That's going to take longer than one legislative cycle, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's a, I think it's a vision. It, it's a long-term vision that of, you know, I mean, specifically in this of, of people being able to, to live with dignity, you know, I mean, mm. and, I mean, I always say in LA County where everyone belongs and everyone can live with dignity and part of, you know, being housed is, is living with dignity. Right. So, so um, yeah, it's a, it's a much bigger thing than passing a bill, but each time we pass a bill or each time we win something, um, we are, you know, dropping another seed to, to create in that new creation, you know, to uh, build that new creation, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful image that you're giving, Angel. I just love that because yeah, I've found in organizing a lot, it's exactly, you know, people want to see the win um, and they, they want to see it right away. And I mean, you even mentioned the bills that we were fighting for in this cycle were passed, but it's also not over, <laughs> right? Like now there's implementation. Now there's making sure the money gets spent the way the community, like there's, there's so much more than just those, I think, um, big moments that people might be familiar with, right? Yeah. But, but I also think, cause you know, we did a, we debriefed the campaign at Dolores mission after, and people were like, you know, people were disappointed. Some people were disappointed. They were like, I was like, but we won. And they're like, yeah, but they, you know, gutted the bill. It wasn't what we wanted, you know? And I was like, people, people, you know, celebrate these wins mm -hmm. because that's, you know, if we don't celebrate the wins, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to give up before we, you know, win anything, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's important to celebrate little like wins, any win. It's important to celebrate it because, um, because change, social change is slow. Transformation of society is slow. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you wouldn't, you won't know that, you know, things are changing unless you celebrate each of those milestones. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Cause that shows you your progress towards the new creation. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Cause you're right. It's not just about, you know, winning, winning with one home run, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's important like to, to look and right. I mean, I think that's like in sports, you cheer when someone gets a hit and they get on base, even though you haven't scored yet. Like that's what I was thinking exactly. when you were explaining that there's oh, still exactly. something to cheer for and to, to be proud about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. that's a great metaphor. Yeah. Well, to end on kind of a celebratory note, I wonder, um, you know, what are, 
just some things you want to celebrate in the work that you've been doing and the work that, um, you know, Dolores Mission and LA Voice as a whole or Pico, whatever it is that <laughs> we work on so many different levels of things when we're organizing uh, that you want to celebrate that we can highlight um, and maybe that people can get connected with if they're interested. Yeah, well, I mean, celebrating the win of SB 567 and like now really focus on implementation, you know, um, what is that kind of, that'll be a whole conversation that I think people can be engaged with. So we did a listening campaign. I mean, I'm being very LA specific, mm -hmm. but we, LA Voice did a listening campaign in um, uh, last year. And the, the three things that came up as main concerns for the network, for our LA Voice network were um, homelessness, lack of affordable housing and financial insecurity. And so um, moving into this next year, we're going to be really focused on, continue to focus on, you know, ensuring, you know, housing for folks, but um, shifting a little bit into guaranteed basic income, as a, a policy to, you know, like exploring what that might mean. Like a, so far, uh, GBI has been, um, has had been mostly pilot programs. So what would it mean to have a permanent uh, GBI program either in LA County or across the state even maybe? But exploring GBI as a future um, policy that we'll fight for. Um, and then I, I also will celebrate just the, the growth of both our network and the leadership in our network, people really through the course of this year learned a lot about organizing, about building power, understanding what it's gonna take to really not just win, you know, not just win the, not just get on base, but win the game, right? Um, and, you know, just the growth of both our base and the leadership skills that people developed over this time, I would I would really celebrate that as well. Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you so much, Angel, for sharing your story and just the story of your work and your community with our audience. I think there's a lot um, that we can all reflect on as people of faith and how we move forward and continue to work as community and to celebrate um, all of the wins, like just what you were sharing. So thank you so much. Thank you. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at ipjc.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.